All right, am I on? Oh, good, I am, okay, cool. Uh, good evening, everybody. We're gonna get started with our Bible study this evening. Uh, Barry, unfortunately, uh, is not feeling too well. He's got a cold, so he is staying home. I am gonna be covering for him. Uh, hopefully that should be just fine. We're gonna kinda continue what we've been doing uh, from last week. So last week we kinda just walked through, and you should have a chart there. I think they're on the back, that back. Uh, chair there if anybody doesn't have them. But you should have your survey chart that has all of the chapters. We're going to kind of just keep going through uh, and see how far we get. I don't know if we'll get through like the whole uh, book tonight, but we're going to go as far as we can go. Um, so we'll just kind of be going through reading Esther together and kind of trying to get the big picture of the story. I would say some kind of high level thoughts to keep in mind here. Our goal is really just to kind of get a sense of the story. I, I liked what Barry had, had mentioned uh, last week of like, let's think of this like a parable that you have to kind of absorb the whole story uh, in order to understand the message. It's not something that you would necessarily pick into pieces, but rather something that you want to kind of absorb the message as a whole, similar as uh, one of the parables of Jesus. So that's helpful. So our goal for tonight is not necessarily to focus on like practical applications or like pulling out uh, kind of deeper observations yet. We kind of just want to get a sense of, hey, what's the structure of the story? What's going on? And so we're going to kind of just walk through that uh, together. Let's uh, pray together really briefly, and then we will start by recapping where we were last week. So let's pray. Father, we bow before you now. We're grateful for this time that we have tonight to gather together and to read your word. We pray that you would bless us in that, that you would grant us open minds and open hearts, and that you would give us understanding, and that you would help us to come to know you more and come to love you more, Father. It's in Jesus Christ's most holy name we pray. Amen. All right, so let's kind of talk about what we talked about last week. Does anybody want to venture kind of a high-level overview of the first three chapters of Esther, what we read so far? Kind of the big events that happen in those chapters. Yeah, so there's a really big party that's going on. King Ahasuerus, I, Barry had a different way of saying it. I'm just going to say Ahasuerus because, you know, I, I'm not smart enough. Yeah. So King Ahasuerus is throwing this big banquet, and what happens at the banquet? Everybody gets drunk. <laughs> okay, yeah. Everybody gets drunk, and he wants to bring out uh, his wife, Queen Vashti. I don't think this is just like a situation where it's like, hey, you guys should meet my wife. She's a really great person. Uh, and so she's not into that situation. And so because of that, there, she's dethroned, and there's this royal command that every, every man should be master of his household. And, and basically, this whole situation with all of these other uh, beautiful women being gathered together to kind of replace Queen Vashti happens as a result. What else do you guys remember from uh, the first three chapters? Yeah, so Esther is uh, one of the, the women who is brought into this. She is uh, relatives to Mordecai, who's going to kind of play a role in the rest of the story. He is her uncle, and so she, he's kind of raised her. And so Esther is chosen to be one of these uh, virgins who comes to basically be part of King Ahasuerus' harem, which is kind of a weird situation. Uh, and so the, all these women basically get one night to 
hang out with King Ahasuerus, and that's kind of like their shot to impress him. And for Esther, it goes well, and so she becomes uh, the queen. Do you guys remember anything else significant about this part of the story? Yes, yeah, so she's a Jew, and she doesn't, she intentionally, at the advice of Mordecai, does not reveal the fact that she's a Jew. So she's keeping that secret at this point in the story. Uh, one other big thing happens in chapter two. Do you guys remember what it was? Mordecai prevents an assassination. Yeah, yeah, so there's this assassination plot, and Mordecai overhears about it, and he stops it from happening. Um, chapter three, you guys remember anything about chapter three? Yeah, so this guy Haman becomes uh, promoted to be basically second in command of the, uh, the empire. And then where does some controversy come in from that? Yeah, so Haman is kind of out being presented as this really important guy. And Mordecai uh, uniquely refuses to bow or to pay homage to Haman. And so that creates some serious anger on Haman's part. And he decides, hey, in order to get revenge on Mordecai, I'm not just going to kill him or punish him, but I actually want to kill all of the Jews. Um, and so he pre basically presents this plan to King Ahasuerus. King Ahasuerus, who so far has been a guy that we've seen not to have the best judgment, basically says, that's great. And then there's this royal decree that is sent out to kill all the Jews. Wayne, you had a comment. What I find weird about that was he didn't tell the king who they were. He says, oh, there's just this people. And it shows what kind of king this is. Yeah, now, absolutely. He's very, uh, you know, he doesn't really care about things a lot. He's not a, a, a good ruler at all. He didn't even ask, okay, who are these people? For sure. Yeah, that's one of the things that we, I think, no, okay, I knew this was going to happen, sorry. Uh, maybe would notice as one of the moral controversies, i got to get this right. This is Barry's slide deck. <laughs> that's the one, okay. Uh, the moral controversies in this section. Okay, any questions on uh, chapters one through three? Okay, so what we're going to do is we'll read a chapter at a time. I'm going to be reading uh, the net version, same as Barry has been. Um, so we'll read a chapter at a time, and then we'll take a minute after each chapter for you to kind of fill out your survey chart with kind of the, what you feel like are the high-level uh, events in that chapter. Okay, so let's pick up uh, in Esther chapter 4. Now when Mordecai became aware of all that had been done, he tore his garments and put on sackcloth and ashes. He went out into the city, crying out in a loud and bitter voice. But he went no farther than the king's gate, for no one was permitted to enter the king's gate clothed in sackcloth. Throughout each and every province where the king's edict and law were announced, there was considerable mourning among the Jews, along with fasting, weeping, and sorrow. Sackcloth and ashes were characteristic of many. When Esther's female attendants and her eunuchs came and informed her about Mordecai's behavior, the queen was overcome with anguish. Although she sent garments for Mordecai to put on so that he could remove his sackcloth, he would not accept them. 
So Esther called for Hathak, one of the king's eunuchs, who had been placed at her service, and instructed him to find out the cause and reason for Mordecai's behavior. So Hathak went to Mordecai at the plaza of the city in front of the king's gate. Then Mordecai related to him everything that had happened to him, even the specific amount of money that Haman had offered to pay the king's treasuries for the Jews to be destroyed. He also gave him a written copy of the law that had been disseminated in Susa for their destruction so that he could show it to Esther and talk to her about it. He also gave instructions that she should go to the king to implore him and petition him on behalf of her people. So Hathak returned and related Mordecai's instructions to Esther. Then Esther replied to Hathak with instructions for Mordecai. All the servants of the king and the people of the, of the king's provinces know that there is only one law applicable to any man or woman who comes uninvited to the king in the inner court. That person will be put to death unless the king extends to him the gold scepter, permitting him to be spared. Now I have not been invited to come to the king for some 30 days. When Esther's reply was conveyed to Mordecai, he said to take back this answer to Esther. Don't imagine that, that because you are part of the king's household, you will be the one Jew who will escape. If you keep quiet at this time, liberation and protection for the Jews will appear from another source, while you and your father's household will perish. It may very well be that you have achieved royal status for such a time as this. Then Esther sent this reply to Mordecai, Go, assemble all the Jews who are found in Susa, and fast on my behalf. Don't eat and don't drink for three days, night or day. My female attendants and I will also fast in the same way. Afterward, I will go to the king, even though it violates the law. If I perish, I perish. So Mordecai set out to do everything that Esther had instructed him. All right, so let's pause there, take like a minute, and kind of write down what you see uh, being the big key events in this chapter. All right, so what would you guys say are some of the kind of the big things that happen in this chapter, kind of big overview? Yeah, so the Jews hear about this c command that they're basically all going to be murdered, and they're understandably extremely upset about that. And so there is mass mourning throughout the whole, the whole kingdom. Then what kind of starts to go on from there? What else stuck out to you guys? Yeah. Well, uh, Mordecai was uh, with ashes, and he's grieving with ashes. Esther found out about it, and she sent him some clothes to go set by the gate, and uh, he rejected the clothes. He wouldn't use them. He wouldn't put them on. He wanted to keep his sackcloth and ashes uh, for his mourning. Yeah, so Mordecai in particular is really, really upset about this, so much so that it appears he, he kind of refuses to be comforted. Uh, and then what, what's kind of like uh, Mordecai's response to this in regards to, to Esther? He says you got to do something about it, and she initially isn't super excited at that idea, and he says basically, like, you're our only Yeah, uh, so Mordecai tells Esther, um, you've got to go talk to the king, and she's kind of like, I don't, like, I don't know, like, if I go in and, like, he doesn't want to see me, I will be put to death, <laughs> and he basically responds to that and says, like, you 
are already kind of under the death penalty, uh, so you've got to do something about this. Uh, anything else particularly stick out to you in what Mordecai said to Esther? You said perhaps this is the reason why he's going to yeah, so there's, this is maybe kind of one of the only really pronounced allusions that there is in this book to the presence of God. And it's pretty, like, I would say pretty subtle here, pretty uh, not overt, I guess, of there's no kind of direct mention of God, but the way that Mordecai says this seems to maybe be a reference to the idea of God's in power. Maybe this has happened that Esther is here in this particular situation to, to kind of help. Yeah, Michael. He does say in verse 14, though, that like deliverance is going to happen. You're, yeah. It's just, don't you want to be the one that's going to do it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's, and I think that kind of goes along with that. Of There's a, there's a, a sense here that something is going to happen to help this work out from Mordecai. Uh, but there's no direct reference to God at all. Uh, okay, so after Mordecai has this conversation with Esther, what's kind of the final, final thing that happens here? Everybody fast. Yeah, yeah. And there's, a, there's kind of this fast of like Esther and her uh, friends are fasting and, and she tells Mordecai to kind of also uh, get people to participate in that. Um, anything interesting stick out to you guys about that? Well, she says she wants everybody to do it, and she'll, she'll fast too. And again, there's an allusion to, I mean, fasting to, for God, you know, to, uh, to hear their prayer. It's not, it doesn't say prayer, it doesn't say God, but that seems to go along with it. And she realizes it's a, okay, I'm, re- I'm, I'm ready to do this life or death situation. If it's death, it's death. Yeah, yeah, and you brought out like, Kind of an interesting thing of they're fasting. There's no actual reference to them praying at all, and so it's kind of unclear. Like, are the, is there any real prayer or entreaty of God that's going on, or are they just kind of like fasting in a, a ritual kind of way? Michael, do you have a, a comment? Yeah, this is also the first time she commands everybody else to do something. For the whole time, work guy's been telling her what to do, and now she's like, "All right, here's what I'm telling everybody to do." Okay, cool. Yeah, I love that. Kind of like. What do you feel like is significant about that? Just her finally kind of taking ownership of being appointed and being the one who's responsible for this big position. Yeah, okay. yeah, I, I feel I agree with that. Um, any other thoughts on chapter four? Okay, yeah, Chad. When, it, when uh, Mordecai asked Esther in verse fourteen, and who knows whether you have not come to the king for such a time as this? That's always. Uh, public reflection on that. Uh, Providence, uh, today, God puts us in situations, you know, that maybe we're here for a time such as this, a helpful person, a certain person. I just think that's a very important uh, statement for Mordecai. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's that's certainly applicable. Um, Yeah, go. Sorry. Before Esther and Mordecai went in to see the king, they had to wait 30 days. Uh, the, the rule was you have to wait 30 days when you go in to see the king or you'll be killed. And the only way that your life will be spared is if 
they, if he reached out the scepter to the person, then his life would be spared. So they they were really out of time limit. You know, they had they were brought to be killed, and yet they wanted to go to the king and plead for their you know plead for him to stop uh, the uh, killing of the Jews. Yeah, I think that's important to note here. Is this is kind of like a, a really stressful and like uh, dicey situation, you might say, of like it's life or death for all of the Jews, but Esther in particular, of like how she handles this, really uh, has potential to uh, affect things. It would seem. All right, let's uh, keep rolling and read chapter five. Okay. It so happened that on the third day, Esther put on her royal attire and stood in the inner court of the palace, opposite the king's quarters. The king was sitting on his royal throne in the palace, opposite the entrance. When the king saw Queen Esther standing in the court, she met with his approval. The king extended to Esther the gold scepter that was in his hand, and Esther approached and touched the end of the scepter. The king said to her, What is on your mind, Queen Esther? What is your request? Even as much as half the kingdom will be given to you. Esther replied, If the king is so inclined, let the king and Haman come today to the banquet that I have prepared for the king. The king replied, Find Haman quickly, so we can do as Esther requests. So the king and Haman went to the banquet that Esther had prepared. While at the banquet of wine, the king said to Esther, What is your request? It shall be given to you. What is your petition? Ask for as much as half the kingdom, and it shall be done. Esther responded, My request and my petition is this. If I have found favor in the king's sight, and if the king is inclined to grant my request and approve my petition, let the king and Haman come tomorrow to the banquet that I will prepare for them. At that time I will do as the king wishes. Now Haman went forth that day pleased and very much encouraged. But when Haman saw Mordecai at the king's gate, and he did not rise or tremble in his presence, Haman was filled with rage toward Mordecai. But Haman restrained himself and went on to his home. He then sent for his friends to join him, along with his wife, Zeresh. Haman then recounted to them the fa his fabulous wealth, his many sons, and how the king had magnified him and exalted him over the king's other officials and servants. Haman said, Furthermore, Queen Esther invited only me to accompany the king to the banquet that she prepared. And also tomorrow I am invited along with the king. Yet all this fails to satisfy me, so long as I have to see Mordecai the Jew sitting at the king's gate. Haman's wife Zeresh and all his friends said to him, Have a gallows 75 feet high built, and in the morning tell the king that Mordecai should be hanged on it, then go with the king to the banquet contented. It seemed like a good idea to Haman, so he had the gallows built. All right, let's take about another minute or two, write down uh, kind of the key events that you see from this chapter. All right, so what's the, what's kind of the first big thing that you see happen in this chapter? Esther keeps her word and approaches the king. Yeah, so Esther goes before the king. She kind of puts herself out there to see what is going to happen, uh, and the king evidently finds favor, or gives her favor. She finds favor in the king's sight. <laughs> it's all good. <laughs> and he extends the golden scepter to her, and she gets to make a, a request uh, of him. So what happens next? She finds a way to her feet. 
Yeah, so she invites him to this, this feast. She also brings Haman in, and it seems like that feast goes pretty well. And he says, hey, what, what is it that you want? Anything that you want. I think the idea of, like, up to half the kingdom is kind of, it seems like it's the idea of, like, like you know, you get a 49% stake in the company. Like, <laughs> you don't get controlling interest, but anything short of that, uh, you can have it. So it seems like that goes pretty well. And her response is basically come to another banquet, right? Uh, and so then there's also this second feast uh, that she requests. Then what happens? Yeah, and so Haman leaves and he sees Mordecai. And how does, what's kind of going on there? What's his, his mental state? Things are coming from his head. Yeah, he's pretty mad about it, right? Okay. So how does he deal with that that situation? Yeah. So and what's what is the plan? Tell the kingdom. Yeah, we're gonna kill him. We're gonna build a gallows and we're gonna hang him. Uh, interesting to me. It's, it says, like, hey, they're like, hey, build this gallows and go tomorrow and have him, like, hung on the gallows. So I guess Haman has access to these, like, overnight construction crews that are just going to, like, put together this, this, like, huge gallows instantly. But I guess when you're, when you're powerful, you can do that. Belinda, you had a comment. That's what struck me, too. Also, his ego. Because if this is 75 feet, this ceiling's about 30 feet, let's take, let's take two and a half times the highest point of the ceiling. And that's what that gallows was. That tell, this is not something that one man could knock a few boards together and do. And why the height? It made me think of Nebuchadnezzar's you know, statue. It had, obviously, Haman wanted it seen for very far distances, because there's no other reason to do that. Yeah, he's trying to make kind of a big, a big show. Um, OK, let's kind of pause here before we go into chapter 6. What do you see as maybe some of the like moral discrepancies or just kind of like weird kind of things that might raise some questions in in this chapter, but also kind of three through through five? What kind of things stick out to you guys? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So you brought up a couple things that are super interesting. Uh, the first one is like kind of King Ahasuerus doesn't seem to be a really competent king. Like he doesn't seem to be very invested in what's going on in his kingdom. He doesn't really seem to be like thinking through a lot of his decisions. He's not. He doesn't appear to be a very strong leader. And so it seems like this guy Haman, who seems pretty ambitious, seems pretty strong-willed, can kind of, kind of. Run, run things his own way for the most part. And then the other thing you brought out that I think is really important is Mordecai's uh, refusal to show homage to Haman. Is that, wh- why would that be weird? He's such a there's, there's all, uh, there had to be other people that he has bowed to all along. The whole time he's in the game. 
Okay, yeah, I hadn't thought of that. Maybe there are like other people that he is paying respect to and he's specifically singling out Mordecai. Uh, there's like, what reason would there be for, Mor or for Mordecai to not bow to Haman? Yeah. I don't think he had showed very much love for the Jews before this. You know, him being the Agai, the son of Agai, who Saul was supposed to kill all of them, and he didn't. And I think that there is a generational blood feud kind of there. And that maybe Haman knew what this guy would do if he had the power. Yeah. Okay, so maybe there is some like tension there from like history of like Saul was supposed to kill King Agag who is like an ancestor of Haman. Haman is an Agagite and Mordecai is a Jew and there's some tension there. I think kind of what's interesting about that though is like this is not the same situation as like Daniel or like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego where it's like there's an like an idol and it's like I'm not going to bow to your idol because that would be worshiping another, a false god. Haman is, is just a, a government official that Mordecai, kind of of his own accord, seems to have decided to disrespect for some reason, or disrespect in Haman's eyes, I guess. I don't know what the, the rules are. Yeah. Well, isn't it the same thing? It's Mordecai knew what Haman had done to him, that the Jews have all been sentenced to death. So he's, you know, maybe that's part of not bowing to this guy. Yeah. And, and there was also the... The, both the king and Haman, the other thing that's interesting is they are very uh, uh, impetuous, they're, they're very impulsive, they, they, you know, the king, before he even hears what Esther wants, it's like, yeah, up to half, whatever, you know, I'll, I'll give it to you. And uh, so he, he was, and, and then also Haman knows the Jews are going to die anyway. Mordecai's a Jew, I mean, he could, he could just wait for his sentencing to happen, but he can't stand it. He's got to have him killed that. Yeah, yeah. It's really interesting to see Haman's kind of response to this whole situation because he's just kind of a jerk, right? Like he's out like to get Mordecai because Mordecai won't bow before him. So instead of just dealing with Mordecai, he's like, you know what? I'll set up a date to kill all of the Jews. And then that's not good enough for him. So he's like, and I'm also going to like kill Mordecai because it just gets my goat so much to have to see this guy between now and when, like, I've figured out how to exterminate an entire people group. And so Haman is kind of just this, this jerk. Yeah. Well, he had, everybody had to bow down to him. It wasn't just Mordecai. And when Mordecai wouldn't bow down to him, it was really a, uh, a, an insult to his uh, pride uh, because he had, everybody had to bow down to him. It wasn't just Mordecai he had to do it. Yeah, yeah. Haman is a really, really uh, prideful guy. Um, any other stuff besides, I think we've talked about Mordecai, we've talked about Haman, we've talked about the king. Anything else that sticks out to you guys uh, from this, Drew? So I think growing up, you just, like I learned about Esther, is this incredibly high moral character maybe that we should try to emulate. And it feels like she somewhat won the king's favor in the fantasy suite on the Persian bachelor by like yeah. <laughs> and then like now is just scheming to get everybody drunk and you're like how 
is this the way that God is going to deliver something? Like, that seems like a huge red flag. It's like, surely just getting everybody, like, blitzed out of their mind is not the answer, but it, it seems to work out. Yeah, yeah, I think that's a great point, uh, is that we're maybe predisposed from having read other stories in the Bible to perceive Esther and to perceive Mordecai as being kind of like uh, heroes of faith, I guess. I, I don't think that is the way that the text really is trying to convey them. Because one thing that's pretty interesting is that when the Jewish people are in this situation, and Esther is, is the person who is most well positioned to do something about it, she's pretty timid about actually doing that. And Mordecai has to kind of talk her into that. And then when they are preparing, there's no actual appeal to God. I think we could maybe read that into uh, the idea that they're fasting. I think based on some of what we know about at least the character of, of Esther and what we've seen so far, I feel like we might be reading into the text that that fast is a genuine appeal to God. Um, yeah. Uh, I think we're, are you talking to me? Yeah, you. Okay, I think we're kind of overlooking a little bit uh, his wife and his friends. He had a lot of cheerleaders. Yeah. Yeah, Haman's got kind of this like entourage of people who are really supporting his ego and kind of his desire to be uh, to be evil. Um, yeah, good point. Any other comments? Yeah. This is like a book of advice from other people. The whole whole story is asking people other uh, what the, what do they think? What we should do here? Because that's what Haman did to the king. That's what Mordecai did to Esther. That's what. I mean, Esther's doing the king here, and then everybody's, and then the wife of Haman, they're all giving advice. Everybody's giving advice throughout the whole book. And it's coming up in the next chapter as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, speaking of the next chapter, I know there's a, yeah, okay. You're getting three hands, so. I'm just going to say, like, tracking the, like, problems of God throughout this, I think it is really cool to see that despite Esther's attitude of, like, if I die, I die, like, kind of dramatizing it. And, and her like perspective of how this is going to go, God not, not only like allows her to live, but then the king's attitude towards her is so favorable that he's like, you can have whatever you want. Like I'm going to give you whatever I want. So it's, it's like I just think about the idea of like God answering us exceedingly abundantly beyond what we could ask. Yeah, love that idea. Um, that's a good transition into chapter six. So let's. I mean, the end of what, the last thing I'm going to do is have another man for the guy. Unless I was planning to poison the <laughs> Well, Let's read chapter 6 and find out what happens. Remind me to be more careful about next time I go to, to lunch with you. 
I'll make sure I'm on your good side <laughs> first. Uh, all right, let's, let's read uh, chapter 6. Throughout that night, the king was unable to sleep, so he asked for the book containing the historical records to be brought. As the records were being read in the king's presence, it was found written that Mordecai had disclosed that Bigthana and Teresh, two of the king's eunuchs who guarded the entrance, had plotted to assassinate King Ahasuerus. The king asked, What great honor was bestowed on Mordecai because of this? The king's attendants who served him responded, Not a thing was done for him. Then the king said, Who is that in the, in the courtyard? Now Haman had come to the outer courtyard of the palace to suggest that the king hang Mordecai on the gallows that he had constructed for him. The king's attendants said to him, It is Haman who is standing in the courtyard. The king said, Let him enter. So Haman came in, and the king said to him, What should be done for the man whom the king wishes to honor? Haman thought to himself, Who is it that the king would want to honor more than me? So Haman said to the king, For the man whom the king wishes to honor, let them bring royal attire, which the king himself has worn, and a horse on which the king himself has ridden, one bearing the royal insignia. Then let this clothing and this horse be given to one of the king's noble officials. Let them then clothe the man who the king wishes to honor, and let him lead about through the, let, let him lead him about through the plaza of the city on the horse, calling before him, so shall it be done to the man whom the king wishes to honor. The king then said to Haman, Go quickly, take the clothing and the horse, just as you have described, and do as you just indicated to Mordecai the Jew, who sits at the king's gate. Don't neglect a single thing of all that you have said. So Haman took the clothing and the horse, and he clothed Mordecai. He led him about on the horse throughout the, the plaza of the city, calling before him, so shall it be done to the man whom the king wishes to honor. Then Mordecai sat again at the king's gate while Haman hurried his away to his home, mournful and with a veil over his face, or over his head, excuse me. Haman then related to his wife, Zeresh, and to all his friends everything that had happened to him. These wise men, along with his wife, Zeresh, said to him, If indeed this Mordecai before whom you have begun to fall is Jewish, you will not prevail against him. No, you will surely fall before him. While they were still speaking with him, the king's eunuchs arrived. They quickly brought him into the banquet that Esther had prepared. All right, so take another uh, minute or two and write down uh, kind of the key events that you see in this chapter. All right, so what, what big things stuck out to you? Mike, you said the king couldn't sleep. What's kind of going on with that situation? Seems to be God doing, doing this. He's involved in this thing that's happening. Yeah, it's kind of this uncanny situation of like very uh, um, fortuitous timing. And it's kind of, we kind of have to read between the lines there. So the king can't sleep, and so he ends up asking to like basically have a history book read to him ostensibly to help him fall back to, back to sleep. But what does he find in the history book? That Mordecai uncovers an assassination plot. Yeah, Mordecai covers up this, uh, or uncovers this assassination plot. And so uh, he's thinking, okay, we've got, to, we've got to do something to honor Mordecai. Um, then what happens? 
Yeah, so Haman, I like you said, it was an inflated ego enters the room. It, what, what strikes you about that whole situation? Anything stick out to you? He assumed it was himself yeah. that, the, that the king was asking about. Yeah, so he assumes, hey, it's got to be me, right? He's talking about me. He's trying to, like, you know, it's going to be a little surprise for me. Uh, anything else, like, particularly stick out to you? He was coming in to ask the king to put Mordecai on the gallows. Yeah, yeah. so he's, he's there asking, ready to ask the king about these, these gallows for Mordecai. The king's like, hey, what should I do for somebody I really, really want to honor? Haman thinks, got to be me. You know what I think would be great? And then what? Yeah. It's, it assumes that Haman also could not sleep. Because why would he be there at that time? Okay, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Maybe. I think it's like we're like in the morning, maybe. But yeah, it seems like Haman probably is like up thinking about it. Yeah, yeah. He's getting up early in the morning. He's trying to be the first guy, you know, get in your email inbox first thing, 8 a.m. Monday morning. Uh, yeah. <laughs> probably. You're right. You're right. You're right. pretty out of it. He's pretty out of it. He kind of reminds me of like Kuzco from Emperor's New Groove. Of just like <laughs> He's kind of just living in his own world. <laughs> he's living in his own world. Um, one of the things that sticks out to me though about like this whole situation with like Haman and he comes and like he's like hey uh, what, what should I do and Haman lists all this stuff and then what's the king's response? Good idea. Go do that for the, like, the guy that you hate more than anybody else in the world. Does that like, strike you as pretty comical? Like, this is kind of a funny situation. Like, more, or, it's a total definition of irony. It is a total definition of irony. Of, uh, yeah, Chip. I think it's interesting that, as Rebecca said, I don't know what this king is. I think he's even unaware of Haman's hate for Mordecai. I think Mordecai was the guy that whose people he had ordered to be killed. He just said, what did you do for a king for, for God? God? Like you said, that's all the things he wanted. He says, go do it to Mordecai. Not as if saying, go do it to the guy you hate. Just go do it to the guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it winds up in this situation. I mean, it's like a, it could be like an episode of a, a bad Persian sitcom of like, you know, Haman is stuck now <laughs> trying to honor trying to honor this guy that he doesn't like. Um, I was going to say, it is interesting that Haman doesn't. Mordecai is not even willing to honor Haman. Haman is actually willing to, to do the thing that probably guts him. Yeah, but that's an interesting point. It is interesting that interesting he is able, for whatever reason, he was willing to do it. Yeah, that's a really interesting point. So we see that Haman goes 
And there's kind of this turning point in the story of now the tables are starting to turn. It's been really kind of seemed like it's bad for Mordecai and for Esther and for the Jews. But now there's a situation where Mordecai basically gets a win over Haman. And it seems like there's, there's kind of some foreshadowing here that that's going to be the way that this narrative starts to turn. And Haman goes back to talk to his wife and his friends uh, about this whole situation. And what do they basically say to him? Yeah, like, sorry, dude. Like, I think, I think you're, you're done for. Uh, so there's kind of this, this foreshadowing that things are not going to work out for Haman uh, as well as he hopes. Um, cool. I think we're about out of time. Uh, appreciate you guys bearing with me. I did not have uh, as much time to prep for this as I would have liked. I guess next week we'll pick up in Chapter 7, and hopefully Barry will uh, finish us out. Uh, appreciate everybody's comments this evening. <laughs>